Welcome to another episode of Full Metal RPG. I'm your host, Brendan, and today I am very honored to be joined by Lance Karavi and Sarah Zora. Uh, Zorman. Zorman. Oh, God, we just I'll did this. I'll take Zorro. Too. Zor- <laughs> I'm, I'm the worst. Um, I'm in the, the offices at ASU, the drama department, the theater department, and uh, um, Professor Karavi is the uh, director of... She, sl- she Kills Monsters, uh, the play that I've been talking about for two weeks, and uh, no doubt you guys are uh, eagerly waiting this, um, this episode at last. Um, Sarah played Agnes, the um, lead of the play, and we're very, very fortunate to have her here today. So um, without any further ado, we'll let them do some talking. Uh, Professor, would you be so kind as to introduce yourself? I'm Lance Garavi. I'm uh, the... Assistant Director of Theater in the School of Film, Dance, and Theater at Arizona State University, and I directed She Kills Mom. Wonderful. I'm Sarah Zorman. I'm a senior here at Arizona State University. I'm an undergraduate student. Um, I'm majoring in theater right now with a minor in digital culture, and I played Agnes in She Kills Monsters. Awesome, awesome. So I took in the play a couple weeks back. I had a great time. Um, It was an amazing experience to watch, and... uh, Immediately, I just knew I had to talk to, to somebody about it, and I'm very, very fortunate that uh, your community has been so open um, to having Full Metal RPG on here to, to talk to you guys about it. So um, can we just start with some background, just, uh, just from you, uh, Professor, about like what was your inspiration for, for this production? What drew you into this world? Because this is, this is not the usual thing that you see, you see plays about. I think, that, I think that all members of the gaming community find this to be quite novel, to see their world in, in, in this kind of juxtaposition. Well, uh, for, first of all, let me say we're happy to, to be on Full Metal RPG. I love RPG and metal. So uh, <laughs> it's good to be here. Uh, what, what drew me to... Um, so I, I chose uh, this script to be in, in our season this year uh, because I thought it was fun. Uh, it's, a, it's a fun, funny script. I thought it would appeal to uh, college-age students uh, who would be our audiences and our, our artists. Um, so I really thought it would appeal to um, the, the students that we have and the, the people that come see our shows. Um, I think a lot of theater today doesn't appeal to, uh, to young people. Uh, you know, we're experiencing in this country what is called the, the graying of the American theater goer. The, the people that go see theater are increasingly old and white and uh, moving on in years, uh, mm-hmm. and and the big, the major theaters are struggling to try to figure out how can we how can we get young people in. And I think the problem is they're not doing anything that any young person would really want to see. Um, and so the the script appealed to me because uh, it was fun. It was funny. Um, I you know started playing D and D when I was like. 
in fourth grade. Uh, and so it appealed to. I'd love to ask what year that was, but well, that would be that. Yeah, like, no, I don't want to go there because okay. I just want to know what edition. I mean, okay. is there any chance uh, I get it was an first edition? edition? Okay, it was maybe prior to the hardback books. Even, Ooh. yeah, nice. I'm old. Well, those, um, those are good times. Those are yeah, good books. Yeah, no, I I remember getting my first edition hardback books. Uh, I still have them. Yeah. Yeah, nice. I can. I, there's a box over there in the corner of my office <laughs> with a bunch of D&D research that I brought in for our designers. And I think there's a first edition monster manual. Wonderful. There, so Good, yeah. good. Um, Sarah, how, how did you hear about the production and what drew you to it? Um, well, at the beginning of every uh, semester, every year, there is a presentation where uh, Garavi actually comes out and announces the season. So he was talking about all the upcoming shows. And he finally gets to She Kills Monsters, which is near the end of the presentation since it's one of the final shows uh, this season. And he gives out all these buzzwords. And you can just see how excited he is about this show. And he's talking about Dungeons and Dragons. He's talking about the 90s. He's talking about... Um, role-playing games he's talking about the puppets that he wants to use and the media design he wants to use and how excited he was and i could just feel the energy in the audience which was full of uh theater dance and film students just very excited to uh hear about this production and wanting to be a part of it so early on so i decided to go audition and um I've been involved in role-playing games before, but I've never been involved in the world of Dungeons & Dragons, so I knew very little about it. What, what was your experience with role-playing um, uh, other than Dungeons & Dragons, outside Dungeons & Dragons, rather? Uh, I am involved in the nerd culture. I know... Um, I, I read yeah. that you're a Star Wars fan. Is that I, right? Yes, I am a Star Wars fan. Uh, my roommate, who actually uh, was another actor in the show, she played uh, Calliope, which was a member of our party. Uh, she was the dark elf, but she's more of the Star Wars fan than I am, and she... I kind of felt like Agnes in that situation. She's the one who dragged me into it. I'm like, oh, okay, we're doing this now. Um, but she got me involved in that, and we play video games together, and we go to Comic-Con together. So I've been involved in the nerd culture. I've been involved in 90s culture, but I've never fully immersed myself and hearing about She Kills Monsters. I'm like, you know what? If the opportunity arises and I get uh, asked to be a part of the show, I'd love to be a part of it. Wonderful, wonderful. So um, Professor Garavi, what you you have said that you started playing Dungeons and Dragons, uh, possibly even as early as first, obviously first. Um, what other games have you played, and 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 did they have any kind of um, it, way of informing what you did with this production? You know, I I've played uh, other like tabletop uh, games. I've played uh, Call of Cthulhu. Um, uh, and various board versions sure. of, of that, and uh, and board versions of, of fantasy games. Uh, I used to actually uh, one of my first jobs out of undergraduate mm -hmm. uh, was I worked at a game shop, uh, game really? shop comic book store for for a while. Uh, Where yeah. was this? Uh, this was in Des Moines, Iowa. It was actually called the Game Shop. And so it was a mix of, of um, role-playing games, uh, board games, really, really complex, like war games with yeah. a billion pieces, and uh, comic books. And so... It's like it, everybody's fantasy. Yeah, it was geek central. It was major, uh, really, really intense. Um, I, was, I, I had that job as I was in Iowa working on a, on a film um, uh, for um, the local PBS station there. And uh, doing a season of, of summer theater 
so yeah, I've played a lot of different games, but my favorites have been, I always come back to D&D and also uh, various incarnations of the Cthulhu uh, ah, uh, wonderful. games. Wonderful. Uh, big and Cthulhu fan. So, so what about the, um, the sort of paradigm of Dungeons & Dragons is it that speaks to you? Well, I don't know. Maybe maybe it's the uh, because it's the feels like the original. You know, mm. uh, it's uh, feels old school to me, uh, which appeals to me. It appeals to my nostalgia. I grew up, you know, playing it with groups when I was in junior high. When I was uh, felt like such an outcast and and looking for a group to belong to, and and I found groups in um, fellow gamers. Um, and, and that was, uh, that was really special. Um, so much of, uh, of role-playing game culture is about the culture, is about the, the, the people that you meet and, and interact with, um, you know, and, and the stories that you, that you create together. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. Um, I, I, I think it's interesting. I want to kind of latch onto a word you said there, which is nostalgia and, um, the play takes place in the 1990s, and this is like a critical element to the plot and to, to, to the entire feel of the production. And I think that like anybody who was alive during that era probably like really felt felt it the way that it was presented. Um, what, what, what is your experience with that time? And what was what, both of your experiences? Because you're, you're, you're really quite young, Sarah. I mean, what? <laughs> Compared to some people? Um, no. <laughs> But um, oh, did, 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 I mean, you were obviously alive I in was, the '90s. I was growing up in the '90s, so I was familiar with the younger culture. So I'm familiar with the TV shows. I'm familiar with the toys that was there, but I wasn't really familiar with the older uh, generation involved with. Um, I was there when the '90s were ending. Yeah. Which was, but it was interesting, especially working on this show, that we had such an array of age groups. We had our youngest was 18, and our oldest was over the age of 18 um (laughs) but we all well over (laughs) but we grew up we all grew up with a part of the 90s so we weren't all of us were familiar with the material and all of us had stories of our 90s experience that we can all relate to this uh experience what does that decade mean to you what is what, what 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 do you take from it for me it i take um imagination from it um, because I was very young at the time, and I just remember a bunch of colors, a bunch of shapes, a bunch of uh, TV shows, Nickelodeon. You've got neon all over the place on that. Um, Nickelodeon, uh, butterfly clips, uh, weird <laughs> wristbands, like slap-on wristbands. Like I had all of those, and I remember having them uh, so young, and then as soon as I got into school, I was like, oh, wait, they're not cool anymore? What happened? <laughs> So I was, I was, again, I was there at the very tail end of it. The, for the bad part. Exactly. You missed you miss the, you, the I boy missed all band, the cool stuff. The synchronized dancing, the boy bands. You were I, there for that. I I'm was sorry. there for the boy bands, but um, I wasn't very involved. I was, I knew of NSYNC and Backstreet Boys, but I could not. <laughs> I was like, is that Backstreet Boys? I don't remember, but it's like, it's an NSYNC song. How dare you? I'm sorry. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, the, the play does uh, firmly take place in what I consider to be the good 90s. And what was your experience with that, uh, Professor Garabi? Well, uh, I was in graduate school for for a big part of the 90s. The play takes place in 1995, and, mm-hmm. and I was in graduate school then. But 
uh, and but the were early you gaming? The, were you gaming during that period? Uh, I was gaming very rarely, but I was still reading. I was still like buying and reading stuff. Um, I wasn't necessarily playing the modules. I would just like buy the books or the you know modules and read them. Going, oh, I wish I had a group <laughs> or I wish I had time to to do this. But um, uh, I was. Uh, Actually, the, the time that I worked in the game shop was very early 90s when uh, early second edition, when Ra- when the Ravenloft campaign setting was coming out, yeah. uh, when Planescape uh, was coming out, you know, early to mid 90s. I was reading all of that stuff. Um, I really remember uh, the music uh, meant so much to me uh, in the early and mid 90s. Uh, 95 was... Um, the year after Kurt Cobain died, mm. um, you know, and, and he died in 94, I think. Uh, uh, and so, yeah, 90s uh, music was a big part of what I thought about when I was researching this period and thinking about what I wanted in the show. Um, me and uh, the sound designer, Steve Christensen, created huge playlists on uh uh, Spotify, uh, and would just pour over different '90s stuff. Everything from, you know, um, that Barbie song. Oh uh, yeah, in Aqua. Barbie World. Uh, yeah. To like, um, you know, uh, all kinds of different uh, black metal and and uh, everything in between. To grunge, obviously, but grunge was kind of starting to. To fade out a little bit at that time. By oh 95. yeah, Gr- grunge had peaked by by ninety five for sure. But uh, what I thought was great was the use of the um, of Radiohead's first big hit, "Creep," in there, which is, I mean, I can you know I remember that song from when I was in high school, and uh, I remember like um, feeling like it really spoke to me and spoke about where I was at. Um, and then Radiohead went on to become this. this completely different band so much huger so much so much so much more influential than that than that particular moment would have would have um uh foretold um i want to talk about the way that the play was cast i haven't read it i kind of was trying to hunt one up in the intervening time since we've um since we last spoke but i haven't been able to get my hands on one um now the way that the way that it was cast for this production was that it was incredibly multi-ethnic and um, I just wanted to talk about that a little bit because while this didn't this didn't bother me at all, I loved it, but it did not reflect my experience with the culture, which to me has been incredibly like mono white, mono male, and yeah. I I think to its own detriment the culture has been yeah. that way. So I almost felt while I was watching it as though I was watching a fantastical representation of a fantasy. Yeah. Do you? Well, would you uh, speak to me about that? Yeah. Uh, you know, one of the one of the things um, that that the play is doing a little bit, and I tried to uh, do a little more, is is um, uh, to sort of pry open. Uh, uh, nine, 90s uh, geek culture and gaming culture um, for its uh, very uh, uh, male-centric attitudes and, yeah. and representations. Uh, as you point out, uh, in the 90s, and uh, even, even today, although this is 
starting to change. Um, uh, gaming culture, and we'll put aside video games for a moment, yeah. um, is, is, is very dominated by men and especially white men. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And one of the things that appealed to me about this play is that it was a story not just about, uh, it wasn't just a woman's story, but it was a, it was a story about a relationship between two women. And we don't see that very often in theater or film at all. I mean, you know, we can sit here and critique gaming culture all we, all we want, but uh, film and theater is not very good at this either. Um, the Bechtel uh, test. Right, Bechtel. Bechtel. Yeah, my, yeah. yeah. This this bad. play blows the Bechtel test it's out true. of the water. Oh yeah. Um, because the the men in the, the, there are male roles in this play, but they're they're not they're not central. They're not uh, the the women have conversations constantly that aren't about men. They're about the play is really about the relationship between Agnes and her sister Tilly. Um, all of the other stuff. The, the the 90s culture and the music and the even the Dungeons and Dragons setting is really the setting. The play is at heart about Agnes and her relationship with her sister. Um, the the D and D stuff is 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 important and uh, the fact that Agnes has come into this other world uh, is important. Um, but it's it's Agnes's story and Agnes's story about her quest to discover something about herself. I mean, I think you've you've made some excellent points there. And uh, what it really sort of reminds me in this exact second is I've missed the forest for the trees. I've just assumed that our listeners know what the hell it is we're talking about. <laughs> um, uh, Sarah, would you mind giving us like a uh, like a, a brief synopsis of like what what happens what happens over the course of the play? Of course, um, my character Agnes uh, is a 25 year old school teacher, and she's just lost her family in a tragic car accident. This includes her parents and her younger sister, Tilly, who we've mentioned before. Tilly is about 15 years old, and she is a Dungeons and Dragons dork. Um, Agnes, knowing nothing about this culture, comes across a homemade module that Tilly created, and she decides that the best way to get close to her sister, who she wasn't close to when she was alive, is to play the module. So she... um, invest in the help of one of Tilly's high school friends named Chuck, and she gets thrown into this world of D&D having no idea what it is, thinking it's absolutely stupid, and having to go on this adventure in order to learn more information about her sister, more information about the Dungeons and Dragons world, and ultimately, in the end, become the one who kills monsters. Awesome. Awesome. So, and in, in, in preparing for, for this... Like, was there organized play amongst the cast? Or, like, to what degree was the cast already familiar with the subject matter? There I guess was I a should... huge variety of people, uh, familiar and not familiar. I was one of the people in the middle who have, who have known of D&D and played stuff similar to D&D, but never actually played D&D before. Mm-hmm. And um, there were people such as my roommate, such as the girl who played Tilly, who played D&D quite a bit or played role-playing games quite a bit. And then there were people who have never heard of the culture before Mm -hmm. um we've actually had our assistant stage um manager words i speak them i swear um but um 
our assistant stage manager, who also uh, was one of the ensemble members, have an entire booklet that he just did on his own. He didn't ask anybody else if he needed to do it. He just did it on his own with all the D&D &D keywords that we needed to know that were in the play, out of the play, didn't matter. He talked about each head of the Tiamon and what they represented. The Tiamon was in the show. Mm -hmm. uh, the Succubi were in the show, and he explained what those were. He explained what each piece, what each dice meant, like what it meant to roll a 20, what it meant to roll a 1. <laughs> um, yeah. He, he created a, a little uh, glossary for uh, oh, for, for noobs, yeah. um, essentially. <laughs> it wonderful. helped immensely. It was really helpful. And I, and I would uh, uh, bring in uh, books to rehearsals uh, and say, here, read about what a paladin is mm. you know, so, that, so that they would understand that. Or read, read about, here, uh, you're playing the character Orcus. You should probably know something about the actual background of that fictive D&D &D, uh, character. It goes way back to the first edition. And it sounds like people were at least somewhat taken with it. As I was prepping, it sounded like you guys are t talking about getting a group together. Is that right? We've been wanting to play for the longest time, but of course, as students and as uh, actors, we never have time. <laughs> yeah, everybody's, you know, they, they rehearsed uh, six days a week, uh, you know, five days a week in the evening, mm -hmm. uh, and then on Saturdays during the day. So most of the time, ordinary people would be gaming. They were re rehearsing. Well, let me tell you, like, I don't know if you've experienced this as well, but the older you get and the more involved your life is, the harder it is to find those <laughs> precious moments for gaming, you know? And, right. And yeah. that the, you lose that level of immersiveness that like when I was in high school, I used to do these like super, super immersive, um, uh, vampire, the dark ages games. Right. And, um, I, I just can't do anything like that anymore because I try and get a group together and, you know, this guy's got a kid and that guy works weekends and this other guy, yeah. you know, newly married. And just, you you have to have, I mean, D&D &D requires a level of commitment for time. Yeah. You, you have to have a large chunk of time to be able to sit down uninterrupted and immerse yourself in a world and in mm -hmm. a story. And, we do that, but we, it's called theater. Um, uh, uh, it's 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 hard uh, to do that and to make time for something like gaming. But we're uh, the cast, um, you know, is hoping to still organize a, a game to to bring some some of the noobs into the into the world and uh, you know see see what can happen. We're actually interested in I'm actually interested in finding someone to run uh, Curse of Strahd. Oh yeah, for us, yeah. Yeah, really? Yeah, yeah, seriously. Because, <laughs> like, why would you not bring a, a noob into Barovia? Oh man, <laughs> uh, Strahd and Ravenloft. That's just, that's that's a great one. That's, that's a the, that's a great one. It's a great. It would be a terrific place to introduce them to it. Yeah, I agree. I agree fully. Um, you've actually given me a, a wonderful segue to one of my to one of my questions I prepared, which is that um, uh, the the production seems to draw some inspiration from um film uh particularly if i if maybe i'm overstepping here but particularly i'd say like the visual style of like edgar wright a little bit um with some of the the stuff that was going on the video presentations oh like scott pilgrim versus the world kind of in the feel um and then it's a play and then it has this element within the story of um collective storytelling and now here we are all in a room doing a podcast telling each other stories so talk to me a little bit about 
the ancient tradition of storytelling and how these all work together, you know, with, with all of you. I mean, I'd let everybody, let's, let's, let's all share about, about acting, about gaming, and about theater. Lay, lay it on me. What do you got? And about, you know, about catharsis, you know, because this, this play is about catharsis, you know. It, have, you, have you had catharsis in gaming? How does, how does the process of immersion in the fancy world of gaming compare and contrast versus the world of theater? For instance, you, me, who's I think you're entirely correct when you say that it reminded you a lot of a movie. Um, when we first read the script, I read it and it reminded me exactly of a movie script. You're reading it, it's like, oh, and a montage happens of all the parties killing all these monsters, and then an explosion happens in the background, and you're looking at the script going, how are we going to do that? Hmm. Because it doesn't explain to you how they did it, it just says it happens. And I think the nice thing about RPGs, D&D, just the, um, that world in general is very similar to theater in a sense of you can take that world and you can take that storyline but make it your own. There have been several productions of She Kills Monsters. There's been a couple here in the Valley as well as across the country. Mm-hmm. And no two productions are similar. You mentioned that we have um, a cast of casts of different color different ages but sometimes high schools uh put on these productions sometimes uh different genders different ages different uh people of different color put on these productions and they have a totally different meaning behind these uh scripts behind the story we came up with our interpretation they came up with their interpretation and you can give the same um story the same D world the same uh storyline to different people That's and a good point they can create their own stories, their own characters, and they can decide where they take the adventure from there. They don't have to go the same path as somebody else. You sound like you're pitching a module. It <laughs> sounds like a module right? to me. Well, I mean, you give uh, the same module to two different DMs, True. Uh, it's going to be a completely different game, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I... Um, yeah, the the script uh, in terms of in what you, what you said about it being like a like a movie, uh, the script. Uh, Sarah's right; it reads a little bit like a movie. Uh, Key, uh, the the playwright, uh, wrote it in some ways like a movie. In fact, in some of the stage directions, it says "cut to," which is uh. not something you get in a play <laughs> script. It's something that you put in a in a screenplay. Yeah. Um. So he, you know, he's tipping his hand as to what he really wants to do, mm. uh, in in a way. But um, it still makes uh, you can make marvelous theater with it. Now, it just so happens Scott Pilgrim was a was a bit of inspiration, uh, for me stylistically. But the the media. Uh, that you saw the projections yeah. uh, that you saw in the play actually stylistically uh, where we were drawing inspiration from was um, two directions. One uh, zines uh, uh, in the, in the 90s, which yeah. were, uh, you know, that was before everybody had a blog and a web page and a Tumblr. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you didn't culture wasn't passed around uh, among young people through web pages in the 90s. It was, through zines. Yeah. Um, uh, Did you have any interaction with that, that culture at the time? Uh, some, yeah. Mm. Um, but, uh, you know, I wanted to make, I, I made Tilly, Agnes's sister, into a, into a Riot Girl. Mm-hmm. Uh, Riot Girl was uh, a brand of, uh, of militant uh, lesbian punk uh, that rose in the early 90s and, and mid-90s with bands like um, uh, 
uh, Bikini Kill and um, Babes in Toyland, um, uh, you know, bands like uh, Pussy Riot today mm -hmm. uh, owe a lot to um, to early Riot Girl uh, stuff. But uh, they uh, Riot Girl rose in zine culture uh, as well as 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 hardcore uh, culture in like the Pacific Northwest and in Washington D.C. And so a lot of the aesthetic for the projections gets drawn from the, the aesthetic of 90s zines, um, 90s Riot Girl scenes, but also from what I imagine Tilly's uh, journal, Dungeons and Dragons journal, her homemade, homemade module might have looked like with doodles and her own handwriting. And she might have made it look like uh, the Riot Girl zines that she, that she read. And so that was an innovation of, of, but that, that you created for yeah. that character. Yeah. I thought that was fascinating and great. I loved it. And her, her theme music was uh, Rebel Girl by... Rebel Girl by Bikini, Bikini Kill. Kill. Yeah. And, and I, I, I loved it. I loved it. I thought it was, it was really good. It was perfect for the character. It was. It was. And she really carried it, too. The actress who portrayed the character was... was I mean, just... She, you know... I bought it immediately. The suspension of the disbelief was was there. In fact, I remember thinking to myself, like... Like where did they find this person who like just gets it so so perfectly? But I didn't understand that um, it wasn't in the in the play that this was something that you had kind of layered on there the, the interpretation you had made because it was it was so great, especially with her as a paladin and just that's 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 such a great cross cultural just uh, bulls a riot girl paladin love it yeah absolutely love it the 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 song creep uh, the performance of that and the whole scene where that takes place is not in the script either oh really yeah I oh. put I, I put that in because I, I was kind of wondering that as I was watching um, because I mean the licensing on some of these songs can be so <laughs> expensive and I was like does the person who wrote the play like say like oh you need to go out and spend a bazillion dollars on one of those licenses and so you can so you can actually play this none of the none of the music is mentioned in the script except maybe mama, mama said, said knock, knock you out, out uh, which oh. is <laughs> the, the song that's playing during um during the what i call the big fight which is this huge battle that happens on stage that lasts for like four or five minutes um yeah um none of the music is mentioned in the in the script itself but uh we didn't have to do a license uh because we're an educational institution, mm. and so we can get away with some things that. Well, um, certainly, um, uh, Arizona State University has access to all those licenses. Yeah, yeah. If we, if we, same way. yeah, we could, we could use it under f some fair use laws. Mm, okay, wonderful, wonderful. I mean, I, I not, not, not that I was in, intending to imply anything. I was oh just, no, I was, just, no, I was no. just imagining like the local theater troupe tearing out their hair. Um, could could you compare and contrast your experience? Have you GM'd? Are you a GM? Uh, I have. trade. Yeah. Can, can you compare the compare, compare contrast the direction of a play to, to GMing a, <laughs> a, a campaign? It's interesting. <laughs> um, I, uh, gosh, I I don't I don't know that they're very much alike. I I think. How so? Well, I mean, I would say uh, uh, being a GM is more like being an actor. Um, because you're having uh, you're having to play a lot of roles actually as as GM you're having you're you're every uh, non-player character aren't you yeah, yeah. Uh, and and so you have to be a very versatile uh, performer and be able to make 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 things up right on the spot mm -hmm. I mean the I, I don't know that there's I think 
one of the similarities is the kind of homework you have to do and the kind of preparation that you have to do as a director. Um, you, you can't walk into a, it's, it's hard to walk into a gaming session cold mm, without with, and if you do that, unless you're super, super experienced, um, you, you might run into trouble. Yeah, it's uh, true. Um, so I think you, you have to prepare what the world is going to be and, and decide what uh, ahead of time, what you, what you want this, what story you want to tell or what story you want, uh, to work with the gamers to tell. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I suppose insofar as that goes, yeah, it's, it, it's similar. I think that Dungeons and Dragons is, is similar to theater in that it's kind of a theater of the mind. Yeah, um, sure. Uh, there was a Stéphane Mallarmé, a, a, a French uh, symbolist playwright uh, in the 19th century, imagined theater as, a, as what he called the theater of the mind, in which the spoken word does all the work for creating the fictive world. And that's pretty much what Dungeons and Dragons is. It's it's making theater without with with just words and some some paper and pencil and dice. But mm-hmm. it's making the most fantastical uh, realms with uh, with words and with playing roles uh, and and performance. Wonderful. And how did your experience? Because you said that you've been involved in some role playing type stuff in the past. How did your experience? of that compared to your experience as, 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 as an actress in this production? I think it's a little harder um, in either situation because as an actor, you're given your character. I was given the role of Agnes. I wasn't asked to make up my character. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, here's your character, Agnes. Here's her age. Here's what she is. Here's her personality. Here's what she says. Now go off and do it. But in... Uh, D&D, you are allowed to make up your character and you get to choose their personality. You get to choose what they say. And <laughs> you're, you're sitting there having to make up on the spot what your character would say. And <laughs> you, like, maybe you may not be as comfortable as that with that situation. But I think both uh, acting or even directing and um, the D&D world, the idea of impulse is a really big thing. Explain. Um, I think a lot of you are in a situation. What would you, what would you do? What's the first thing that comes into your mind? And it's like, do I talk to you? Do I fight you? Do I just run away, fight or flight? What do I do? And it's the first thing that comes to your mind. That's the first thing you do, and you have to go for it. And as an actor, you may be given the lines, but you're not always given the action. And maybe the director, in our case, Garavi, says. I want your character to get from point A to point B, mm-hmm. but he's not going to tell you how that's going to happen. It's up to the actor to come up with that idea of how does this character get from point A to point B? And what, what's the impulse that drives exactly. you there? Yeah. Ah, that's that's insightful. That is insightful. Okay, okay. I think I've heard of this. I think I've, I, may, I may have heard of this. It's kind of like Will Ferrell and in Talladega Nights saying, I don't know what to do with my hands, right? What do I do with my hands? I don't know what to do with my hands, right? <laughs> sure. Uh, you know, what? Where does, the, where does the moment take you? Mm. Um, does it, you know, does it make you want to do X or Y or Z? Uh, 
you know, if you if you have a feeling towards X, then go with that. It's it's healthy to listen to uh, to what's inside as an artist. Um, you you, you want to encourage artists to do that. Do Do you feel as though as an artist you inhabit fantastical worlds? As theater artists, yeah, that's what we do. Oh, elaborate. Uh, it, it, um, I mean, you know, uh, when uh, when you're playing D and D. You're, you're imagining that you're a monk or a paladin or a, you know, a, a warrior or a, a magician and faced with a, with a, with a situation, uh, you have to decide what to do. But you have to decide what you would do as this warrior or as this thief or paladin, right? Not what you would do as, you know, normal... Lance Garabi, mild-mannered uh, university professor. Not so mild-mannered, actually. Um, but so it's, it's, it's projecting yourself not only into another world, but into another body and another, another personality. Um, it's, it's asking yourself, what if? If I was in this circumstance and I was this person... Um, what would I do? And then acting accordingly. Did, so, you, did you see the uh, the Michael Keaton movie Birdman? Did I, I haven't seen it, no. Oh, rats. Have you seen it, Sarah? Oh, man. I hear I have two theater people. I, right, who haven't right, seen right, this exactly. movie about the theater. I, I would, right? lo- I would yeah. love to because I saw it, and I'm like, and it, one of the things that people said about it was, well, here's a bunch of movie guys making a movie about the theater, and isn't that kind of a little weird? And it's, and it's especially about how theater relates to movies it would have been great to hear what you guys had to say about that because well, we'll have to we'll have to go see it now yeah. <laughs> who, who who can tell me about about the guy who played chuck that i was i was particularly taken with this character i working with fargo personally was absolutely amazing i heard i was talking to him and i asked in our audition we were asked to do a monologue which is a short uh piece from a script okay and that's normal that's in an audition but Garavi also wanted us to do a special talent and I asked Fargo one day what was your special talent what did you do and he's like oh yeah I did impressions and I realized he did a Gandalf voice for the entire show that oh uh, he didn't do the he didn't do the Gandalf do, voice not for the entire show Mm-mm. But he did it for the pre-show announcements where oh, uh, that's him. Where, where it said, uh, uh, you know, please turn off your cell phones. Yeah, yeah. Um, that was you know. pretty good. And he did it in Gandalf's voice. He has a really, really good Gandalf impression. What, 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 what is he involved in? Because he, there was something about that character and the way that um, he, uh, like the sort of journey that he went on over the course of, of, of the play, which, I mean, he's obviously like, he's not one of the central characters, um, but he's... From what I remember, he's a freshman here at Arizona State he University. He is a freshman. He's um, wow. interested in theater and film here, and he's also trying to get a minor in um, women's studies and I believe one other thing I can't yeah, quite... Yeah, women's studies. Women's studies and one other thing that I can't quite picture, but he's so insightful. He's very well-researched. He do, does references from books and movies that I've never even heard of, and he was a speech and debate coach when he was ah. in high school, and working with him was so wonderful because he just came up with stuff on the spot and just coming up with all those things and he says something it's not meant to be funny but it is funny yeah like how how he's able to make it come so natural yeah fargo uh is like 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 
Sarasat, a freshman. Uh, he's he's wonderfully talented and very bright. Um, he was my student in a class last semester. Uh, he's just really great to work with. He came in, gave a killer audition, and uh, uh, just walked into that role of Chuck. Does, does he have a grounding in the life, or is he was that just all acting? Because um, he's never. I believe he's never been participated in Dungeons and Dragons, but he's very familiar with nerd culture. I can't tell you what exactly. He wants to learn how to how to be a DM. Yeah. <laughs> does he really? Yeah, he really does. <laughs> he's never he's never DM'd, but he wants to learn. May our numbers only grow. Right, right. He's actually, I think, promised to learn, hasn't he? Oh. Yes. Yes. He's he's pledged now that he will learn to DM. Well um, a lot you know, to, a lot of people find that um that transition daunting. You know, I mean, I remember the first time I did it, I found it ex- exceedingly um, intimidating. It's a lot of responsibility. Yeah, you know, it is, but it's like anything. Like, once you've just done it for a while, you know, it just becomes second nature. I have a tough time playing at this point. Like, sometimes I'll do it just for a break, but for the most part, I just run. I'm that guy in my group that I always run everything, you know. Everybody, no, nobody nobody asks who's running this. They always just know that I'm I'm the guy that's running it. I do that, do that stuff so much. Um... Well, you know, we're about at the end of, of, of the of the interview uh, period. I usually give these about, you know, 45 minutes. Um, is there anything you guys want to add in closing to wrap up? I think the biggest thing I took away from this entire process, and I'm starting to kind of realize this now, is kind of the theme of acceptance. We talked about in this podcast a little bit about um, women's uh, – being woman being the main focus of this play, which really isn't prominent in a lot of plays today and a lot of movies today. But um, it also talks about the nerd culture in the 90s, and uh, it makes a very big point of saying that the nerd culture was considered bad, that they were bullied by cheerleaders, and that's a big part of Tilly's adventure is that she gets uh, bullied by these succubi cheerleader characters, and that's very scarring for her and now in to today they're not they're accepted a lot more because of the technology that's around here because of the um comic-con because of the movies that are coming out we we respect nerds so much more now and not only is it uh talking about that it's also talking about women in nerd culture because there's so many people out there who just believe that women are meant to be scantily clad, waiting at a booth, not really knowing what they're talking about. They're just there for money. They're just there for the male gaze. And Tilly created this world, and in our world, we created the riot culture in which Tilly not only made women uh, sexy, but she also made males sexy, too. She made males objects as well. Yeah, the, 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 the person that gets the most ogling in the show is a guy. Um, well, yeah, yeah, right? definitely. Mike I definitely. As, as Orcus. He was quite fit. Quite yeah, fit. yeah. He, he <laughs> makes, uh, you know, Men's Health Magazine cover models uh, self-conscious. He's so cut, right? In, in, indeed, indeed. An in-shape guy. In-shape guy. I was pretty impressed. Definitely. Uh, final words, I, I, I guess... Um, The part of what I was trying to communicate about these these people and about about geek culture in general is 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 communicated really clearly in the in that Radiohead song, uh, 
um, you know, the, the singer in the Radiohead song Creep is, is saying, I'm a creep, I'm a weirdo, and you're awesome, you're so fucking special. Well, all of the, the characters in the show are both weirdos. They're gamers, so of course they're, they're weirdos, but they're also special, like really, really fucking special. Like every person in this cast, um, and that that realization that those two things can live in the same body—the weirdo and the and the awesomeness—I um, I, I think was was a really important idea uh, for me, and uh, a wonderful experience with this particular cast. Well, right on. Um, I'd like to once again thank you both for being here, uh, uh, Professor Garavi and uh, uh, Sarah Zorman. Um, it's been a real privilege uh, to speak with you guys today. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you so much. Well, everyone, thanks for listening to our interview with uh, Lance Garabi and uh, Sarah Zorman. Really appreciate you guys tuning in for that. We have a few minutes left in the show, so I just thought I'd kind of like take the second and uh, do some bookkeeping with you guys. Um, so first of all, first and foremost, we just want to go ahead and you know thank Professor Lance Garabi and uh, Sarah Zorman for being on the show. We want to uh, extend some heartfelt thanks to the Arizona State University Theater Department for being so open to um, talking to Full Metal RPG and for really in the long term they're kind of like support of the role playing community because productions like this um, increase awareness of the hobby and uh, allow people who wouldn't necessarily interact with it to see it in a different light. And that's valuable to us because, you know, um, role-playing games have for a long time felt like they're kind of in a little bit of decline. And we're entering into this new kind of golden age. There's a lot of um, interest being kind of like thrown in the direction of our weird little corner of the world now. And uh, we need to we need to make use of that. So um, thank you once again, Professor Garavi and uh, Sarah Zorman. Um, you know, when I was, when I was coming up with that interview, you know, um, my buddy Ben Mandel, he was the one that really put me onto the play. So, I mean, I have to extend some thanks to him, uh, for making me aware of the entire situation. So, um, thank you, Ben. And I really thought like I had come across this like hot little scoop, you know, I thought that, you know, uh, FMRPG had come across this very unique little thing and, um that I was going to, you know, have this first shot at it and really make a mark to show, like, who we are as people here on the show, like, how we do things. Anyway, I guess I thought that I had found something really avant-garde. And then uh, I was talking to Dr. Garavi, and it turns out that I had been scooped. Wizards of the Coast actually made it to... um, Made it to She Kills Monsters before I did. So, um, 
If you look for at the Dungeons & Dragons podcast, the episode they released on February 25th, um, while the show was still in rehearsal, uh, that is a 45-minute podcast, and they dedicate it pretty much solely to uh, She Kills Monsters. Uh, Dr. Garavi's on there. He's talking to um, their, the host of that show, the usual host of that show, and he has a different um, actress, the actress who played uh, Tilly, and they ask a lot of good questions, and I think that they have just generally a different kind of take on um, their line of questioning. So if you want to hear more about the show, and if you want to get kind of a different angle on it, um, I would highly encourage you to getting over there, checking out the um, Dungeons & Dragons podcast. Uh, it's easily found on your, you know, whatever it is you use to listen to podcasts on. Um, speaking of that... Uh, I know I asked a little bit ago for people to go on um, iTunes and uh, go ahead and leave a review or leave some stars or something. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and issue that, that call one more time. If you're new to the show, if you haven't heard this before, please, if you have an iTunes account, I know that a lot of people don't even really have them anymore, but if you could just, whatever it is that you use, if you have the ability to leave reviews or to leave stars, we would be very grateful if you would go on and leave a starred review for Full Metal RPG. You know, of course, we always endeavor to have the highest marks. Um, if you can't give us that, then we'll we'll take what we can get. But um, these types of feedback really do help the show. I mean, they modify the algorithm. I'm sure that this is a phenomenon that we're all familiar with in the kind of social media age, but this affects who sees the show, how the show crosses your path. So, I mean, if you could take a second out of your day and uh, just kind of throw in some kind words for FMRPG, I'd be very grateful. Um, that is, of course, presuming that you haven't already, like, you know thrown this podcast in front of your friends which i'm hope that we're worthy of doing that as well i hope that we're that we're getting there to the point where you're you're willing to put this seal of approval and recommend this this podcast to your other gaming friends um we now have a web page courtesy of adam from the shadow sworn radio hour um fullmetalrpg.com is up and active it's a little kind of it's a little rudimentary right now. It's not... I wouldn't run over there just to take a look at it. But it is an easy way to interface with everything that we're doing. It is a good jumping-on point that will get you to everything that we do. It has links to the um, FMRPG Insta, to the SoundCloud, to the Shadow Sworn SoundCloud. And then in the days and weeks ahead, we are going to be working on it to really flesh it out, really give it its whole own feel, and we hope that, you know, you'll come check it out as it gets better and better, and we hope that, you know, this makes us easier to find. So that's fullmetalrpg.com. Um, come check us out there. Um, we still have some shirts available on our Etsy store. They are predominantly medium and extra large, but um, we still have a few left. Uh, 
come on down to our Etsy store and check them out. We're going to be um, getting rid of the Etsy store eventually at some point as we integrate an online store into uh, FullMetalRPG.com. So um, I don't know if that if the next run of shirts will just be on FullMetalRPG.com or if this is like the end of our days with Etsy. I just don't know. Um, we'll see. But um, there is another run of shirts in production. And um, we'll be fleshing out some of those other sizes that are not available. So um, keep your eyes open for that. Um, next week on our show, we're going to have Adam back for Shadow Sworn Radio Hour. It's going to be me and him. And uh, one of the things that we're going to be kind of doing to switch things up is we're going to be bringing Shadow Sworn into the full metal RPG fold. Um, I just really think that with a once a month show, it's kind of hard to get it out there and really promote it and give it the audience that it sort of deserves. And it's also very challenging to to be running um, two podcasts as two separate brands. So with their own kind of social medias and all that sort of thing. I mean, the, the, so the shadow sworn stuff is woefully neglected. Um, so we're going to be kind of changing the title of Shadow Sworn Radio Hour to uh, Full Metal RPG Presents the Shadow Sworn Radio Hour. And that will come on in your um, in, the, in a slot, like once a month. Once a month, it'll just be on the um, FM RPG RSS feed. If you're already subscribed to the uh, Shadow Sworn RSS feed, then you can just, you know, using whatever subscription service you have, you can unsubscribe because you'll be getting it with your FM RPG. We're probably going to leave the Shadow Sworn one up for a little while, just uh, while I make this announcement a few times in an attempt to get everybody over so no one just thinks that we vanished. But uh, that's what we're doing with that show, and we, are, we, we believe in a healthy future for Shadow Sworn Radio Hour, um, just under one umbrella with Full Metal RPG. And I think that there's a lot of crossover there anyway, so I don't, I don't think that there's a lot of people who are only listening to Shadow Sworn. Um... I guess we'll just wrap it up now. Thank you, as always, to Legion for our uh, theme music, Abyssal Plains. We love it. Um, this week's monster art, which you can see in the uh, Full Metal Gallery on our Facebook page, um, comes from Yossi, who is not a listener, but he is the nephew of a devoted listener, and he loves to draw monsters. And so um, he brought us the uh, creepy owl with its creepy quote, there are eyes everywhere, which is definitely disturbing to think about. Um, thank you all for listening out there. We appreciate we appreciate you. We do it for you. We we love you. And we appreciate you. Thanks for listening once again. We'll see you next week. Good night.